Some people may say COVID's got the church in trouble, but I'm going to tell you what, it ain't the truth. It ain't the truth. Come on, it ain't the truth. This fall alone, 25 new owners in our church family, 18 water baptisms. This fall alone, God is on the move, guys. God is on the move. So glad that you're here, whether in person or online. We're still dealing with the realities of the season that we're in, but God is working in hearts, and we're honored to be a part of that journey uh, with so many people and, and with you. And so if you haven't uh, become an owner of the church yet, we call them owners because we're all working together. It's God and sons and daughters family business, and we become co-owners in the family business. So uh, sign up for the ownership class December 6th, and let's get in. Let's roll up our sleeves. God's going to do some cool stuff in the days ahead. So has anybody seen my old lady? She, she's here somewhere. What, what, I need the battle axe. I mean, come on, I need her. Where is she? She's here. I need my ball and chain. Come on, she's here. What? <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm in so much trouble. I'm in so much trouble. But let's be honest, guys. I did that on purpose because I wanted to wake you up and get your attention. It is amazing to me how we speak to the people that we love the most. Sometimes we're kinder to strangers than we are the people that are closest to us. Can I get an amen in the room? We're in a series that we're simply calling Honor, and we're talking about the, the importance of honor. We're talking about developing, kind of the subtitle for the series, developing a culture of honor or perhaps restoring a culture of honor. But whatever you want to do or call it, the bottom line is honor matters. Honor matters. Somebody say it with me. Honor matters. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that God attaches a promise to. And over and over and over again in Scripture, you see where God gives favor to people who operate in honorable kinds of ways. So let's make sure we're on the same page before we get into today's message too deeply. And that is to honor means, by definition, it means to value. It means to show respect. It's on the screen with me. To value, to respect, to treat as precious. Dishonor, on the other hand, means what? What does it mean? Here we go on the screens. To devalue, disrespect to treat as common or ordinary. Honor then uh, builds up, believes the best, empowers, dishonor, tears down, believes the worst, and weakens. The end of the day, God has said, uh, honor to the honor those is due. Romans chapter 12, we should give more honor than we expect for ourselves. And we're just talking about this biblical principle of honor throughout the month of, of November. Let me mention quickly this evening at 6 o'clock online, you can go to our Facebook page and get all the details. Go to our website and get the details. But there's a, thank, thank, a citywide or an area-wide Thanksgiving service this evening online only. Six o'clock this evening, I, I brought the message and our team put the, the whole video together. But it's, a, it's an effort of the Princeton Area Ministerial Association and the Rosewood Community Churches United. And so it's just kind of cool to see the body of Christ coming together in Thanksgiving. So if you're free at six o'clock this evening, I hope you'll uh, log into that and watch that service uh, together. For now, let's get into our series today called Honor. On Veterans Weekend, of course, we honored our veterans and their families. Last week, we talked about our local heroes. Uh, Pastor Valerie's already mentioned it, but there's, there's challenge coins. We actually ordered a lot more than we thought we needed because the thing about people who deserve honor is they would rather not give it as much as they want to give it. So we made sure there's plenty out there. And so if you know somebody, military or civilian, first responders, law enforcement, somebody that you just want to say, I honor you for what you do, medical, education, any of those frontline people, 
uh, particularly during this COVID season, pick up a coin or two, take them, give them away, and just, uh, and just demonstrate honor to those folks among us who deserve honor. They're there. We don't want to stockpile them. We want you to give them away. So pick one up. And if you're in those fields and you didn't get one next week, please receive one from us as a reminder of how much you are valued here in this house. Today, we're talking about honoring our spouses. And I trust that Kim will forgive me for saying those horrible things about her. Kim is in the house this morning. She's going like this. I did that one time and Kim hollered out from the congregation, that one's going to cost you jewelry. I don't know. <laughs> but but I, I honor this precious lady. What an amazing a woman of God she is. But today I want to talk about in real practical terms, how you can honor your spouse. You that are married, you that hope to be married one day, plan to be married one day, this is really important information. For you that are, are single and probably will stay single, don't tune out on me because quite frankly, a lot of what I'm talking about today applies to every relationship. Even as we listen and as we consider honor today, uh, we could have simply called it honor relationships, but I'm using marriage as the primary illustration today. So for married couples, lean in for the rest of you, Consider how you can apply these principles in any relationship that you're in. Might be your parents, might be your siblings, might be your children, might be your friends or coworkers. Let's in. What I simply want to do, real nuts and bolts, practical kind of way. I want to give you six things. Call it the six C's of honoring uh, in relationships. Six ways that you can and, quite frankly, should honor, and then to make it really, really practical, this would be a really good day to go to the app and pull down the notes and save it to your journal because I'm going to give you a pop test at the end of every point. Don't you love pop quizzes? I'm going to give you a pop. I'm not going to ask you to turn in your grade, but I'm going to ask you to consider because I want this to be really practical. Let's get into it. Six things that you can and should do that I can and should do to honor first and foremost our spouses, but also every relationship in our lives. Let's get into it. Number one, honor requires communication. If you're going to show honor, it's going to require communication. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 17, irresponsible talk makes a real mess of things. Can I get an amen? But a reliable reporter is a healing presence. Simply put, if you want honor to be a part of your marriage, you got to talk. And some of you immediately say, well, of course we talk. What are you talking about? We're married. Of course we talk. But I've read several different studies that the numbers will vary a little bit, but not a great deal. Most of these studies will say that the average married couple talks. I'm talking about face-to-face, -face, personal conversation, four minutes a day and four hours a day of parallel activities. There's a big difference between the two. The fact is, you can't have healthy marriage, healthy relationships without communication. The problem is that communication doesn't come naturally. And one of the reasons is because men and women communicate differently. Is that true? Yeah, it really is. And I know we can generalize and stereotype. I don't want to do that, but there are some profound differences. I read a study one time from Stanford University where they took some young boys and young girls, same age. They put the girls in one room. They put the guys in another room. And, just, and there's just various things in those rooms, uh, just little trinkets and blocks of wood and such. And then they left them alone for a few minutes. They went back to the room where the girls were, and the girls had met each other, organized themselves, and turned all the trinkets into a game that they were playing. They went to the room where the guys were, and every one of the guys was in a separate corner with a block of wood going, vroom, vroom. We communicate differently. 
I don't, I don't know if you've read this. You've probably heard this somewhere along the way. But the average uh, female has 30,000 words a day that she needs to spend. The average male has 15,000 words a day that he needs to spend. And let me tell you right now, that's the stereotype because Kim and I are probably the opposite. I'm probably the 30,000 word guy and she's the 15,000 word gal. But, uh, but the point is that we often marry our opposite, whether it's male or female. Can I get an amen? So it creates a real problem when we're trying to communicate. The great honor killer in marriage is evening comes and, and one half spent their allowance of words and the other half still has half of their words left. And so they say, what'd you do today? Nothing. Anything new happened today? Nah. You want to watch some TV? Okay. That's the extent of the conversation for the day. But the key to communication is not just talking, it's listening. And listening, not just with your ears, but with your eyes, and not just with your ears and eyes, but with your heart, listening between the lines, which is why Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, 2 and 4, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. The best way to show you care is by listening between the lines. And that doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily. Like the husband who said to his wife one day, if you could have anything for your birthday, what would it be? And she said, I want to be six again. And she went on talking. But as soon as she said that part, he shut down, started planning and thinking. And his mind is racing about all the things he can do to accomplish that for her. And so sure enough, her birthday came and he took her to an amusement park and he bought her junk food. And then he took her to a movie and he bought her popcorn with extra butter. And at the end of the night, he's feeling really good about himself because he did this wonderful thing for his wife. And that evening he whispers very softly softly. So how does it feel to be six again? And she said, I was talking about my dress size. <laughs> so evaluate yourself. How you doing? I told you I was going to give you a pop quiz. If you honestly say, you know, we really, we, we exchange words sometimes, but we rarely talk. You know, we need to talk. Oh, no, not talk. Don't make us talk. Talk. If, if that's where you are, honestly, give yourself a one. You're at the, the left end of that one to ten scale. If you say, we, we talk, but it's mostly about the house and work and, you know, kind of the business of life, then give yourself a two or a three because that's not what's going to build the relationship. If you say, we schedule times to talk about feelings, about our fears, about the future, then give yourself a nine or a 10, depending on how you're doing, okay? Honor requires communication. Say it with me. Honor requires communication. Second one is honor is demonstrated in consideration. Honor is demonstrated in consideration. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I want you to understand what you just read because sometimes showing honor is, is shown, is revealed, is demonstrated by your willingness to humbly, gently, patiently, Bear with one another. Cut each other some slack because none of us are going to get these things perfectly. And so every now and then, the, 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 the essence of building a healthy long-term marriage or any relationship for that matter is going to involve some bearing with one another, some forgiveness. The problem, again, is that men and women don't just talk differently. They think differently. 
I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mark Unger, but Mark does a great job of explaining this. So I thought I'd take a minute to explain it to all of us. He, he says that men's and women's brains are, are, are different. And, and I tend to agree with him. Uh, he says that men's brains are actually a collection of containers. And so men have you know, they have their sports container and they have their work container and they have their marriage container and they have their kids container and they have their house container. And so they have a container for every area of their lives. And here's the key to, to understanding how men's brains work. Every aspect of his life has its own container and none of the containers ever touch each other. It's called compartmentalization. That's how our brains work. Women, on the other hand, they got all those elements too, but theirs is more like a mesh of wires. And every wire, I mean, they got, they got their, their marriage wire and their house wire and their kids wire and their work wire. They got all that stuff too. But in their case, every wire touches every other wire. Am I right, ladies? And the electricity that flows through these wires is called emotion. <laughs> right? And so, so here's the problem. Uh, the husband will, you know, come home from work. He's still in his work container, even though the family needs him. He's still in his work container. And so they try to talk to him and he's still thinking about some meeting at work today or, or something he's got to do, a deadline for tomorrow. And, and he somehow has to manage to get out of his work container to get into his family container. And that's really hard to do sometimes. But every now and then, we'll, we'll just, we guys, we'll just shut down. We'll get in our easy chair, our recliner or somewhere and uh, a deer stand, you know, and we just, we just shut down right? And when that happens, we're sitting there uh, in, in that container. Now, our wives will come in and say, what you thinking? And he will say, nothing. Well, that's not possible because she's always thinking something and it's all interrelated with everything else. It is not possible, it's what she says, it is not possible for you to be thinking nothing, which makes him mad because now she's trying to put him in his something box and he didn't want to be in his something box. He wanted to be in his nothing box, but she doesn't believe there is such a thing as a nothing box. So she winds up saying, remember the electricity that drives the wires? She winds up saying, you just don't love me like you used to. And if we just came to understand each other just a little bit better, we might find out that we can communicate better, but also be considerate of the reality that's going on. So when your spouse comes to you from whichever perspective they come from, don't respond until you pray, Lord, help me to understand what's going on here. Most important thing I learned as a husband is don't assume I know what's going on. Listen, sometimes all Kim needs is a hug. Don't need me to fix nothing. Listen, James 3, 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, what's the word? Considerate. So evaluate yourself. I told you we're gonna do a little pop test every time. So if you say, you know, I'm patient, when it makes sense to me, 
<laughs> you give yourself a one. doesn't have to make sense to you. If you say, well, yeah, I stop and pray for patience before I respond, sometimes. When then give yourself a two or a three or a four or six, whatever, depending on how well you do that. If you say, it's kind of, this is how Kim and I put it, very early on in our marriage, we went to a marriage seminar and it really helped us a lot. Uh, if you fight in slow motion, you know what? Every marriage has fights. Boy, that was quiet. Every marriage has fights. Still quiet. Come on, let's get honest in this room. Every marriage has fights. Thank you. That was a little too loud, sir. <laughs> Just a little too loud. <laughs> it's reality, but here's what we were trained to do. Fight in slow motion. Because you know what happens when you get in those arguments? You're not really listening to what your spouse is saying. You're waiting your turn to make your point. And then as the emotions arise, you stop waiting your turn and start breaking in. And before you know it, you're not even fighting about what the issue is. You're fighting about the way you're fighting. How dare you speak to me that way? How dare you use that tone of voice? How dare you say those things to me? What were we fighting about? I don't know. We're fighting about the way we fight. Slow down. Listen. Be considerate. Consider what's just happened. Pray for understanding because our brains don't work the same. We, sometimes we're saying the same thing and we don't even realize we're saying the same thing because we're saying it from our perspective. Slow down. Listen. You walked into the room where Kim and I were having a fight. You would say, what in the world's going on in here? I'm pondering. She's pondering what was just said before we respond. If that's the way you do it, give yourself a nine or a 10, how well it's doing. Okay. Is this practical? Is this, is this good stuff? Honor requires communication, talking and listening. It requires or it's demonstrated in consideration, being patient and humble and gentle and forbearing of one another. Number three, honor is revealed in compromise. Go back with me to the first married couple, back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. You got the picture? The Lord God took a rib from Adam, and he brought her and made Eve... And then he brought Eve to Adam after he woke up. Do you know the backstory of that? Do you know the rest of it? This is not in the text. It's just good scholarship, okay? God went to Adam and he said, I'm going to make you a helpmate. And she's going to cook for you and clean for you and, and compliment you and fulfill your every desire. And Adam said, wow, that's, that's awesome. Um, sounds expensive. What's that going to cost me? And God said, well, it costs you an arm and a leg. And God said, well, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> that didn't happen. That just, that didn't happen. But here is how it went. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. Now, I want you to put yourself in the moment. Adam has been naming animals. He's been standing there and animals have been walking by and he's been stretching his creativity to come up with names. And so ant, aardvark, buffalo, cat, dog, elephant, falls into bed exhausted one night, goes to sleep. God takes a rib, makes Eve and brings him to her the next morning. And he goes, now that's more like it. 
<laughs> she got bones like me. <laughs> I'm going to call her, whoa, man. <laughs> That's what really happened there, you see. It's not bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we'll call her. No, he's excited. What? God, you are good, you are good, you are good. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and united with his wife and they become one flesh. Now, wait a minute, Jim. You, you, just, you just told me that that one of the keys is compromise, and now you're telling me they're one flesh? Well, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. But just because you are one flesh doesn't mean you both don't still have opinions. Both of you are thinking people. You get two people in a relationship, you're going to disagree eventually unless one of you is playing doormat. I had a couple come to me some time ago, and uh, they'd been married for 24 years, and they made an appointment, and they came in, and, and I said, what's going on, guys? These were regular you know, fully engaged members of the church family. And, and, and I said, what's going on, guys? How can I help you? She said, well, I don't understand it. He just announced to me that he's leaving. And I don't get it. We've never had a fight in 24 years. And I said, well, that's probably why he's leaving. What do you mean? I said, well, one of you is playing doormat, and I have a feeling I know which one it is because you're up here talking, and he's sitting his chair back two feet. Maybe it's time for you to have a good old-fashioned air-clearing fight. Just fight fair. And sometimes the solution is to compromise. Competition can kill a marriage, though. I'm not saying 50-50. I'm saying 100-100. I'm not saying, well, you won last time, so I get to win this time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about coming together, caring about each other, and, and even though you both have strong opinions, saying we're going to find a way to find a solution to this problem. Kim and I uh, have had these things through the years. We've had to work on these things. Give you a couple of examples, see if you relate to them. The, the kinds of vacations that we like is one of the things that we had to work on really early in our relationship. I'm much more of a spontaneous kind of person and Kim's much more of an organized kind of person. So the first time I took her to the Outer Banks in the summertime without hotel reservations was an adventure to me. It was not fun to her at all. <laughs> I had to figure out there's a better way to do this. Oftentimes, we go on vacation. Kim likes to go to a place. She's sitting here. She can attest to this. She likes to study the details. She wants to know what's going on. I want to fly by. I'm going to go, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Can we move on to the next thing? And so what we've had to do is figure out what blesses us both when we go on vacation. So we do fewer things. We plan a little more in advance. Um, but at the same time, we don't bog down in one place for too awfully long. So we found a solution to our problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, use of money is another one. Uh, you know, some people see money as a means to fun, and other people see money as a means to security. Am I right? And so for some people, having a few bucks in the bank makes you feel a little more safe, a little more secure. Somebody else says, hey, we got some money in the bank. Let's go do something. Right? Well, we tend to be that way, uh, and you can guess which side of the equation I'm on. And, and so we had to figure that one out. We'd go to a place like Bush Gardens or Carowinds, and, and, and I don't care that the hamburgers are $18. I'm, I'm out here having fun. And she says, well, come on, let's make some peanut butter sandwiches, and we'll go out to the parking lot for lunch. We'll save this money. We can use this money for something else. No, we're on vacation. So what did we finally figure out? Somebody told us one day, and we adopted it, is that when you're going on a trip, you save money for the trip, and then vacation money becomes monopoly money. It doesn't count. 
You saved it for that purpose, you're going to spend it while you're gone. You're not going to come home with money. You're going to come home with memories. You see, a compromise. What I'm saying is that sometimes you feel strongly about your opinion. You, she feels strongly about hers. But you feel more strongly about the relationship than you do about getting your way. One of the problems that we've had to work on through the years that, quite frankly, I wish was still a problem and that is, do we go to your mom's or mine at Thanksgiving? Do we go to your mom's or mine at Christmas? And now we find ourselves, my mom's in heaven, and Kim's mom is dementia, has taken her. I wish we had that problem today. Finding ways to work through those things as a couple is a huge part. Compromise is a huge part of an honoring Marriage. I got to be honest with you, having done this for a very long time, uh, in fact, it occurred to me this week, I can no longer say 40, none of your business years. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Because this past Wednesday night was my 50th anniversary of having preached my first sermon and, uh, and announced that I was called to preach. 50 years? How is that possible? That's how in the world. I must have been three when I said that. I don't know. <laughs> But all of these years, 50, none of your business years, I'm convinced that more marriages die from inflexibility than from adultery, alcoholism, or abuse put together. I want what I want when I want it, and I'm going to stubbornly hold on till I get it. So evaluate yourself. If you say, I'm stubborn, I know, I tend to be a dog on a bone, I'm going to get what I want, then you've got to give yourself a one. You're not honoring the marriage. If you say, well, yeah, there's probably an elephant in the living room that we're not talking about, but it would be a waste of time to talk about it. We won't get anywhere, so let's just not even talk about it. You still got to give yourself a one. If you say, you know, both of us go the second mile to figure out what the other is saying and why is that important to you and how can we figure out a way that accommodates both of us then give yourself a nine or a 10. Honor requires communication, talking and listening. It's demonstrated in consideration, patient, forbearing. It's revealed in compromise. Number four, it grows through courtship. Honor grows through courtship. And I know courtship's not a word that they use nowadays, but we're just talking about uh, showing warmth and affection. And that's a, a, a vital part of, of honoring one another in a marital relationship. Somebody said if there was more courting in marriage, there'd probably be fewer marriages in court. I don't know if that's true. The real problem for many is that after the wedding, there's a shift that takes place. Before the wedding, we're doing all kinds of stuff to win our mate's affections. And then after the wedding, we shift to doing all kinds of stuff to pay the mortgage and the bills and to do the business of life. And, and somehow the stuff that we did to get there uh, no longer continues. We, in other words, stop courting one another. And, and it can be hard. I get it. I mean, when you're dating, you see each other at your best, right? Somebody said dating is the highest form of false advertising there is. I mean, you're on your best behavior. You're looking your best. You prepared for this thing. You tried three different wardrobes on before he got there to make sure you had the right outfit for the night. We did all that kind of stuff. After we get married, we see each other at our worst. 
right? We wake up in the morning, there's no makeup, we got bad breath, we haven't had coffee yet, we're rushing to get out the door, we're stressed, we get home in the evening, we're exhausted and irritable, we got nothing left to give each other, and so it's no wonder that it's a challenge. Well, how do you overcome the challenge? You keep courting. Don't ever stop courting, Ephesians 9, 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Pastor Jim paraphrased, date your mate. Date your mate. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It can be sit on the couch and talk, but do something that keeps the marriage fresh and alive. Find a sport that you like. Well, Pastor, you know, athletics are not really, really my thing. Well, well, do you know what the oldest sport in the Bible is? Anybody know what the oldest sport in the Bible is? Anybody know? Genesis chapter 26, verse 8 from the King James. Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. They're not talking about football. In case you're wondering, that's, they're not talking about f- football. Whatever it is that, that you pick, do something that you both enjoy and make sure that you're doing it together. Hear me, guys. You've got to evaluate courtship in your marriage if you want honor to be in your marriage. So evaluate it. If you say, ah, it's non-existent. We, you know, we're too busy to have fun. We're just too much going on. We don't have fun with each other anymore. You've got to give yourself a one. You need to crank that up some. Well, you know, we go out once in a while. You know, we kind of do something fun now and then. Okay, give yourself a two, three, four, depending how frequently uh, it is. If you say, you know, we've got at least one date Uh, every week and we focus on us and how are you doing and how are you feeling, then give yourself an eight or a nine or a 10. Kim and I got to a place one time and I've told this story in other places. I may have told it here. I don't know, but, but we'd been married, I think 25 years at the time. And I realized that we were kind of in this rut. And so I said, tell you what, let's go out. Let's go out to dinner. Let's get a babysitter and let's go out to dinner this weekend. And we went to our favorite restaurant I said, tell you what, as we're walking out the door, I said, tell you what, let's set some ground rules for the night. We can't talk about the church. We can't talk about the school where the boys went to school and Kim worked. We can't talk about the house remodeling project that we've been working on. We can't talk about the business of life during this dinner. Okay, fair enough. So we went to our favorite restaurant. We got our favorite meal. We're sitting there looking at each other across the table going, So how's your bread? (laughs) Married 25 years, had three sons. What? You get out of the groove. You get out of the habit. And so eventually it became, so how are you feeling about life these days? How are you feeling about us? Where do we see ourselves down the road? Has God put any dreams in our hearts that we haven't gone after lately? In other words, we started talking about the things that we talked about before we were married. And in February, we'll celebrate 45 years together. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Honor requires communication. It demonstrates, it's demonstrated in consideration. It's revealed in compromise. It grows through courtships. And there's two more. We're going to get down to the bottom line, and I'm going to let you go. These are the bottom line ones. Uh, number five, honor thrives in covenant. Honor thrives in covenant. Say it with me. Honor thrives in covenant. Go to Malachi chapter 2. Well, that's, 
Looks like Malachi to me. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. You cover the Lord's altar with your tears. You cry and moan because he does not accept your offerings and is not pleased with what you bring. In modern terms, what the prophet Malachi is saying is you cry and pray and pray and cry and you're, you're aggravated and frustrated because you don't think God's hearing your prayers. He's not answering your prayers. He goes on in verse 14 to tell them why. May surprise some of you. You ask, why? Why, God, aren't you answering my prayer? It is because the Lord sees how you treated the wife you married. Even though she was your partner and you had an agreement with her. That word agreement, if you see that word agreement in the last sentence. In the Hebrew, in the original language, it was actually the word bereth. And bereth really translates, and in a lot of the word-for-word -word translations of the Bible, you'll see it's the word covenant. You understand, you understand what a covenant is? Do your heads like this if you do. You know what a covenant is? Here's what, a marriage is a covenant relationship, okay? But we've made it a contract. You know the difference between a contract and a covenant? A contract is when two parties come together, they make an agreement, there's supposed to be mutual benefit to both of you in that contract, right? If you enter into a sales contract or, or something like that, you know, I'll provide this product, you provide these monies, and, and the result is we're both uh, benefit from this contractual relationship. That's a contract, right? Every contract has a clause that shows how you get out of it if the other party doesn't perform, Right? So I got a product, you got the money, I'll bring the product, you bring the money. If you don't bring the money, I keep the product. That's your, that's your out. And we've come to the day that we, we far too often consider marriage a contractual arrangement between two people. I will love you if you will love me, and I will cherish you if you will cherish me, and I will honor you if you honor me, and, and so as long as you do your part, I'll do my part. But if you don't do your part, I don't have to do my part. And I need you to hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I need you to hear me say that God never intended marriage to be a contract. It's a covenant. And a covenant says there's a third party in the equation. It's God himself. And where two have come together and become one, God has sealed your union. That's a covenant relationship that says, I will whether you do or not. You see, God always will do his part. God, God will always. He's the covenant-keeping God. The question is, will we? So he said, I'm going to do my part. You're saying in this covenant, I'm going to do my part whether you do or not. And your partner's saying, I'm going to do my part whether you do or not. Now, how wonderful is marriage when both of you do your part and God fills in the gaps between what we're capable of and what this relationship requires. But hear me, guys, as long as divorce is an option for you, you will never have the honoring marriage that you want. As long as you can pull that trump card out and say, ha ha, I'm filing for divorce. If you don't, you will never have the honoring marriage you want. You got to take a pen knife and cut that word out of your dictionary. Well, pastor, what about if he's abusing me? Get safe. Go somewhere and get safe. 
Nobody's saying stay in abuse, but you stay committed to the vows that you made as much as you're capable of and then say, okay, I will meet you at the pastor's office. I will meet you at the counselor's office and you do everything you can to honor your vows until your partner, your marriage partner says, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And then according to 1 Corinthians 7, you're free. But you do everything you can while you have the opportunity to marriage thrives in covenant. Every, did I mention that every married couple fights? Did I mention that somewhere along the way? We get into some of those things sometimes and, and we get entrenched in our positions and we become emotional about it and we're convinced that we're right and that somehow it's dishonoring to let go of our position and, and before you know it, the, temp, the temperature rises and the tensions rise and everything in us says, forget it, this is too hard, I just can't do it, I'm out of here, this is just too much, I'm gone, I'm, I'm leaving here, I can't do it. We apparently were just not compatible Incompatibility is the favorite word these days for divorce. I like what Paul Turnier, the Christian psychologist, psychiatrist said in his book, To Understand Each Other. I think I put it on the screens. Can we bring it up? Here we go. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. So-called incompatibility is a myth invented by lawyers in order to plead for divorce. It is likewise just a common excuse for people to use to hide their own failings. Misunderstandings and failings can be corrected when there's a willingness to do so. The problem is I want what I want when I want it. It's selfishness. Some of you perhaps have been to Art of Marriage. When I was first introduced to Art of Marriage, a wonderful marriage a seminar, if you have the chance, take advantage of it. But I remember a clip from the promo video. I'll always remember that. The counselor's talking to a couple, and she's telling the counselor what their problems are, and, and he's telling the counselor what their problems are. And the counselor says, I don't think you quite understand. You don't have problems. You are the problem. Because you've stopped thinking of this as a covenant relationship. Hear me, guys. The grass is not greener on the other side of the hill. The grass is greener where you water it. So evaluate yourself. If you say, you know what, it's tough. I'm toying with the idea of leaving. You've got to give yourself a one. If you say, well, I don't plan to leave, but, you know, it's a tool. If I'm losing an argument, I might bring it up and say, oh, I'm out of here. If you don't do this. And it's a threat that you use, and you've got to give yourself a one or a two. A fellow called me one day. I'd never even met him before. He just called me and said, I, I, I hear you're a pastor, and that you might be able to help me with this. I said, what's going on? He, he said, uh, I've threatened my wife divorce over and over and over again until one day we got in a fight. And I said, what do you want from me? She handed me divorce papers. She said, I want what you've been saying you want all these years. And now she's gone, and I don't know what to do. If you honestly say divorce is not an option for me, I will do what I can to honor the covenant relationship. Give yourself a 10. There's one more. I see the clock. And this is the most important. Did I say we're getting to the bottom line? This is the most important of them all. And it is honor is established in marriage and any relationship for that matter when Christ is at the center. When Christ is at the center. Let me tell you why. You've probably seen the illustration, maybe you've heard of it somewhere along the way, where you've got a man and a woman in relationship, and, and the more they focus on getting closer to Jesus, they just naturally get closer to each other. Isn't that a really neat kind of illustration? It is. 
but there's another side to this equation that I want you to think about, and that is that human love runs dry. Sometimes I feel incredibly warm and fuzzy toward Kim, and sometimes I want to hug her neck. <laughs> right? I'm sure she wants to hug my neck more than I want to hug hers. In other words, human love is not enough to carry you through the ups and downs that are part of human relationships. You need a well. You need a reservoir of love. His name is Jesus Christ. Truth of the matter is, in this day and time and the pressures that are out there, I don't give any marriage much chance without Christ at the center. Because just, it's just too easy to walk away these days. There's too much acceptance to walk away these days. It's only in that reservoir that we can draw on that we have what our marriage partner needs from us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that in terms of your marriage relationship. I demonstrate love to my spouse in this way. I love her so much I would die for her no matter how she's acting right now. That ain't humanly possible. But in Christ, it is. In Christ, it is. Some people would tell you that the divorce rates these days have gotten to maybe 50%. I, I challenge that number. I think it was flawed research that got to that number, but it's still far higher than any of us want it to be. But here's what I know from my 50 years of doing this. I've done 528 weddings. I can count on my fingers and toes the numbers of those weddings that have failed. 90% success rate more. Why? Because there's magic in me saying the words? No, because I screen couples before I agree to marry them. If you can't tell me that, that you're going to work to make Christ the center of this marriage, I'm sorry, I don't know why you're coming to me. Just go to a justice of the peace somewhere. Let me challenge you not to do that either. And the result is, with Christ at the center, marriage still works. Do I say that again? I thought I'd get more than one amen. With Christ at the center, marriage, say with me, still works. It's still the best relationship there is. It's the most fulfilling relationship there is. It, it, come on. When Christ is at the center of it all. So evaluate yourself. I'm going to shut up, but evaluate yourself. If you say, ah, that religion junk ain't got no place in my marriage, then you've got to give yourself a zero. You're not even on the scale, one to ten. Well, we go to church together. You know, we kind of check the box, went to church. Give yourself a two, at least you're getting exposure. If you say, you know, we worship together, we, we talk about the messages, we have dialogue about it, then give yourself a five or a six, that's good. But if you can say, yeah, we go to church, we worship together, we, we talk about the messages that we've heard and, and we pray together, we worship together, then give yourself a nine or a 10 and I will tell you, that there's an intimacy in praying together that you will never find anywhere else. God established marriage. He knew what he was doing when he established it. He intended that they be honoring relationships.
So bow with me for just a moment. Just want to ask you to consider, to reflect for just a minute. Again, if you're single, apply this to some other close-knit relationship that you have. How well are you communicating these days? Just think about it for a minute. How well? I'm not talking about parallel activities. I'm not talking about the business of life and the business of, you know, housework and such. I'm talking about communicating. Feelings, fears, and futures. How you doing? How considerate of each other have you been recently? Gently, humbly, bearing with one another, forbearing one another, forgiving where needed. How you doing? How well do you compromise, work hard to find solutions that meet both of your needs as opposed to digging your heels in, I want what I want? How's your courtship? How's it going? Date your mate lately? How about covenant? Do you view your marriage as a covenant relationship between you and God? That with his help, you will survive anything? Bottom line, is Christ at the center of your marriage, of your home? If not, can I beg you not to leave this prayer until you make that commitment? In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just me and you for a minute, and God, pray a simple prayer with me. Do it out loud, do it silently, I don't care, but do it, please. Jesus, help me to reflect on my marital relationships and, and other intimate relationships in my life. Give me the grace, the love that I need in order to communicate, be considerate, compromise where needed, enjoy one another, have a covenant relationship with you at the center of it all. Jesus, forgive me for my failings in any one of those areas. Father, you know who's praying, you know exactly what's going on in their relationships. I pray simply that you'd remind them that if we will confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive. We get a fresh start today by putting you at the center of our relationships, we get the reservoir to draw on for whatever our marriages demand of us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen.